Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. Imagine how you would feel if you experienced pain while chewing, swallowing, speaking, or even yawning. Or how about experiencing such limited jaw movement that you couldn't insert a spoon or fork into your mouth? Well, many suffering from temporomandibular joint disorder, or TMJ, endure these symptoms every day. According to the American Academy of Oral Facial Pain, about 75% of the U.S. population experiences symptoms of TMJ during their lifetimes. Marion Blackburn, a freelance and creative writer, describes how a simple dental visit resulted in a life-changing cycle of pain. Yet, she didn't let the pain consume her life, and we'll find out how. Dr. Christian Stoller, Dean of the University of Maryland School of Dentistry, then joins us as a leading expert on TMJ disorder. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulcristomd.com. That's paulcristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Our first guest today is Marion Blackburn. She's a freelance and creative writer who describes how a simple dental visit resulted in a life-changing cycle of pain. On the other hand, she didn't allow the pain to destroy her life, and she's here to tell us how. Marion, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Marion, what happened during your dental visit that caused temporomandibular joint disorder, or TMJ? I developed what I would consider simple facial pain, and this was in 1997. This happened after a filling, and the filling was just not, uh, was just not uh, sized right. I was given some treatments that, in, in fact, caused more harm than help. It started as a sense of almost a a feeling of having a fever maybe in my face, but from there it became um, maybe a chronic throbbing, muscles pulling against each other, just an all-consuming sense of my entire head just being in pain. And really at that point, you, you, you just can't function. Did the pain move from your teeth to the muscles of your jaw and then to your head? There was a problematic feeling, and yes, so that tooth hurt. And um, from there, I probably had done some clenching I wasn't aware of and, and just got a sense of tension in my cheeks. Uh, from the cheeks, it kind of spreads to the temples. From the temples, it can spread to the top of the head, from the top of the head to the neck, shoulders. And um, you just get a lot of muscle involvement. Marion, can you give us a sense over what period of time your jaw pain and facial pain occurred? In my case, it was something that started uh, over the course of two, three weeks and then just gradually got worse and worse where at the end of, say, a month, month and a half, um, it it was a crisis. And did your crisis state continue for months or or even years? Now, the, the entire course 
of my bout with uh, facial pain was three years uh, from the time of the first involvement to the time where I felt like I had something like a normal life. Was the discomfort there all the time, or did it wax and wane? Oh, the pain definitely waxes and wanes. You know, Marion, a lot of my patients get very frustrated with the recovery process, and uh, I wonder what you would recommend to people who are listening about the importance of perseverance. Recovery takes a long time. In my case, it took several months of physical therapy, soft food diet, and um, ultrasound uh, with my physical therapist. But then at home, I used ice packs and heat. And really, it was probably three months before I started to notice any considerable improvement and, and a full year before I felt like I had my life back. That's great to hear. Some people with TMJ can barely open their mouth to swallow liquids or to eat foods, and breathing sometimes is almost unbearable. Did you experience any of these things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I would wake up in the morning, and I might be pain-free, but by the end of the day, my cheeks would just be aching just unbearably. I mean, and I'd have to go to bed, and I just couldn't do anything. And then I'd, you know, I'd wake up the next day, and maybe I'd be fine again, or maybe the pain would have kind of settled again in my, my face, and I'd be like, gosh, I was doing so well yesterday. Today, I'm just in, I'm in pain. There was a time when I couldn't, I couldn't speak normally for weeks, if not two or three months. It hurt for one thing. Of course, at this point, I had a true jaw injury, which was caused um, by uh, a, a treatment that uh, was, was inappropriate for me and went wrong. So by the time I developed this jaw injury, the pain was so severe in my left jaw that, that I couldn't talk, I could barely drink, I could barely even swallow. Wow, I mean, that sounds incredibly debilitating. H- how were you able to communicate? I would barely open my mouth. I remember going to church and I was unable to sing the hymns. You know, I couldn't really go to any social events. At this point, you know, people are starting to say, gosh, what's wrong? Really, I didn't have, have a life anymore. That sounds really tough. Marion, with that much jaw pain, what were you even able to eat? I ate soups, I ate yogurt, nothing harder than that. And I would steam my vegetables to make them very soft. That probably went on for whew, four or six months. And um, as the pain would come and go, sometimes I'd have to resort back to that soft food diet. Marion, how effective was your first TMJ treatment? When I had the facial pain, this dentist became convinced that my facial pain was related to that my jaw needed to be in a different place. And he began this aggressive kind of intervention of wanting to reposition my jaw, which I now see was really a very bad idea. How did your dentist try to realign your jaw? Well, he gave me a mouthpiece, a hard plastic splint that um, caused my jaw to fit in a different position because it had a big kind of bump at the front of it. Once I realized that this dentist had had, uh, ideas about how to treat me that that I did not think were good for me, I stopped seeing him. But by this point, I I had a jaw injury from that mouthpiece. At that point, I saw a doctor who wisely prescribed physical therapy. And that was really the beginning of of my getting better was when I got into physical therapy. When we come back, we'll talk to Marion about the beginning of her path to recovery. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulChristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. 
That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Marion, take us down your path that essentially began after you left the dentist's office to the point where you achieved a full recovery. I have seen, uh, uh, I saw an oral surgeon who prescribed the physical therapy, but, but just to be clear, my true recovery began when I got away from um, oral providers and I saw a good, compassionate family doctor. Um, who was able to treat the pain and not worry about the teeth or the jaw. Okay, then what was helpful and what wasn't helpful? What was not effective? Uh, muscle relaxants and medications. They, they just made me feel groggy and I dropped them pretty early. In the end, there was a tricyclic antidepressant, uh, imipramine, which has been shown to help with facial pain. I took a little bit of that, but really the pain treatments that allowed me to recover and to get my life back uh, were simple steps like icing my facial uh, muscles, especially like the cheeks, the masseters, maybe four or five times a day, heating pad on my neck. And then the physical therapy, my therapist used uh, ultrasound and a very gentle massage on my neck and my face. In the end, I purchased a TENS unit. That's the, the unit that you put the uh, little pads on and it delivers just a very gentle electrical pulse and that also helped me to recover. I'm glad you highlighted the usefulness of conservative therapies like thermal packs and TENS units and uh, muscle exercises because, you know, in almost 75 to 90% of the time, they've been shown to be as useful as some of the more invasive procedures like surgery or prosthetic devices. Tell us, where did you put the TENS pads specifically on your face or your jaw? I put them right on my master muscles, sometimes around the temple, sometimes right on the jaw. Marion, what's so inspiring about your story is that you faced your pain, conquered it, and now you're living a normal life. Today I consider myself completely recovered, and I'm really glad that I hung in there for, for that three-year period and got better a little bit at the time without seeking a more aggressive treatment. Well, as a result of hanging in there, what can you do now that you couldn't do before? Just last night, I was eating carrots. Um, steak, uh, you know, I, I stay away from steak. That is kind of chewy and taffy and things like that. Um, in addition to being able to eat pretty normally and have a normal life, um, a week ago, I, I ran a, a marathon. So um, I've, I've definitely recovered. Another powerful message that you project that I try to impart on all my patients is not to give up to persevere and persist. You are absolutely right. That's really the message. Be patient. Recovery takes a long time. And it's and one of the most tragic things that I see as a patient advocate now is people who get impatient. And they'll go for that, I don't know, injection, even injections in the jaw. And, and, and then you hear about surgeries and, 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 and treatments that are so aggressive and yet there's no science for them. And then once you've had a surgery on that joint, your life is going to be different, and, and I, 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 I hate to say it, but your life is, is not going to be better in most cases. Before we close, what are the three most important things you want us to take away from your experience with TMJ? I heard uh, sort of the, the motto for TMJ, which is treatment should be uh, reversible, non-invasive, and conservative. Excellent. Marion, thanks so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thank you very much for your interest in this issue. Coming up next, Dr. Christian Stoller, Dean of the University of Maryland School of Dentistry, joins us as a leading expert on TMJ disorder. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. 
That's paulchristomd.com. Dr. Christian Stoller is the dean of the University of Maryland School of Dentistry. He's recognized for his research, especially in the area of orofacial pain and TMJ disorder. He's also the scientific advisor to the TMJ Association and Patient Advocacy Group. Dr. Stoller, welcome to Aches and Gains. Uh, Dr. Krista, I'm happy to be here. What characterizes TMJ disorder? The uh, temporomandibular joint disorder is a, a range of diseases and disorders that affect you know, the orofacial area around the temporomandibular joint. It is mostly you know, characterized by diffuse pain, lasting pain, uh, moderate severity for the most part expressed by most patients, and it is a condition that is often associated with some inability to use the jaw. From an anatomical standpoint, will you describe for us the temporomandibular joint itself? Well, it is located on the side of the patient's face, you know, and uh, in front of the ear. Uh, it is hinged against you know, the skull base, and uh, it consists of uh, two actually moving joints in series uh, because there is an interposing uh, tissue structure, a disc uh, between the moving part, you know, the condyle and the skull base, allowing the lower part of the joint, you know, basically the moving part against the disc to primarily provide rotation, while, you know, against the skull base, the disc provides, you know, some kind of a sliding, uh, you know, function uh, along, you know, the path uh, when you move the jaw forward or you open the jaw. Dr. Stoller, how important is imaging like an X-ray or an MRI or a CT scan in someone who has TMJ disorder? The recommendation of the American Dental Association when it comes to X-ray studies of the temporomandibular joint clearly says if there's reason to believe that articular pathology exists, then a study of the joint should be uh, undertaken. And how do we know if we have TMJ disorder? Patients typically describe pain and discomfort and inability to open the mouth as the factors that, you know, raise concerns about such a diagnosis. I feel that many of my patients wait too long before seeking the care of a pain specialist. With respect to TMJ disorder, when and with whom should patients consult? It's probably the same as a headache. Many headaches, you know, are not uh, being... uh, uh, cared for by a professional. People know that you know, the headache will disappear and uh, it, they will be fine. And for 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 the temporomandibular joint, there are many situations where you know these pains come and go and are probably not uh, affecting a person's life to the degree that they worry. But as soon as a person worries about a disease, that's typically when they seek care. And I would probably you know either talk to my primary care physician about it or to my dentist about it. Even though we really don't know what causes TMJ, other than perhaps arthritis or some disease of the deep tissue structures, Dr. Stoller, what puts us at risk? Well, the risk factors are, you know, being female and being young. The, the rate of, uh, of uh, disease development in a female is almost about twice as much as it is in males. The likelihood for you getting TMJ in old age, and you never had it prior to that, is very, very minimal. So eating hard foods like candy or carrots really doesn't predispose us to TMJ disorder? You might think that this is the case, but, you know, people have... 
been eating hard foods uh, all their lives and they don't develop uh, TMJ. TMJ is not a development condition. That means that the longer you have used your jaw, the more likely you get the condition. In, in the contrary, it is clearly linked to the reproductive years uh, of men and women with the frequency of the disease, particularly the more serious conditions being much more likely to occur in women than men. That's a surprising link between the onset of TMJ and the reproductive years. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Stoller about that click sound that many patients report who have TMJ. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics, a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Welcome back. Christian, should we be afraid of hearing noises in our temporomandibular joint? Only in the context of pain is something that typically, you know, uh, requires consideration. But noises by itself are not something that the patient should pay too much attention to. And certainly noises are not a reason to provide treatment. What's the association between TMJ and fibromyalgia? The overlap with fibromyalgia is uh, something that is quite real. Uh, you know, for instance, if you look in a fibromyalgia uh, clinic, it's a higher prevalence than you would find it in a normal population. And if you are looking in, in, a, in, a, in a TMJ population about the presence of fibromyalgia, that's also more frequent. TMJ can be so destructive that some people simply can't chew at all, lose quite a bit of weight, and require nutrition by a feeding tube. Have you seen it this bad? You know, once uh, you have a chronic condition of severe pain, inability to, you know, to chew, being on soft diet. Uh, these are the conditions that uh, many of patients have faced uh, as a consequence of uh, having TMJ. And, uh, uh, you know, these patients, they want to die. They have no life anymore. Their life is destroyed. They're, there's no hope. On the other hand, there's very good reason to hope because TMJ treatments can be quite beneficial. Let's first look at the conservative treatments, Dr. Stoller. Heat pack, a cold pack, you know, a, a bite splint, uh, treatments, uh, massage therapy, vibration therapy, you know, nutritional therapies, all oh, acupuncture, all these treatments that leave minimal side effects for the patients. The conservative therapies are quite effective and the number one choice for treating TMJ initially. Let's delve into the medicines and first talk about the tricyclic antidepressants, which in my experience are quite useful. For, you know, for these persistent pain conditions are, are linked to musculoskeletal pain in the temporomandibular disorder. Yes, I would say that. Flexrel, a muscle relaxant, when, uh, when metabolized, is actually an antidepressant. Neurontin, for the sharpshooting pains that are superimposed on this, it may, may be the drug of choice. Absolutely. How about local anesthetic injections into the muscles surrounding the joint? Clinicians call them trigger point injections. Trigger point injections are not necessarily something that should be done on a, on a, on a frequent basis. One or two times, probably okay, but more than two times, I think it's highly questionable. Moving on to more invasive procedures, tell us about arthrocentesis or draining the joint for pain relief. Indeed, you know, if you do this, uh, patients often get relief for a short period of time, typically, you know, maybe five, six months, and uh, then it comes back again. Uh, and finally, when do you recommend TMJ surgery? Well, uh, 
I, I think uh, you know the idea that uh, joint surgery leads to you know to improvement should be limited to those that have clearly dysfunction of the joint trauma or disease has destroyed the joint and replacement has to be considered as we consider it for any other body part. That's great advice. In my experience, there's good reason to hope that if someone has TMJ disorder, they'll make a near-complete recovery. Absolutely, absolutely. I would say that, you know, all studies indicate that more than 60-70% of patients get, you know, pain relief with and, and and get their function back with conservative treatments. Dr. Stoller, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome, Dr. Crystal. Tune in next time when we explore another interesting topic on aches and gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Here's a question from Jefferson in Huntsville, Alabama. I've had sciatica for approximately seven years. I take hydrocodone and I've already tried physical therapy several times. The only time that pain is relieved is right after I receive my epidural shots in my back and then it lasts for approximately two months. The pain doctor only wants to give the shots every four to six months. Is that too long? Jefferson, epidural steroid injections or ESIs have been used for more than 50 years to treat sciatica. Many doctors limit the number of ESIs to three in a six month period and this is safe and reasonable. This is done to limit the body's exposure to the steroids, which can cause serious side effects in high doses. But not all ESIs are equal. That is, some, like transforaminal ESIs, involve placing a needle close to the inflamed nerve root that's causing the leg pain, and have been shown in some studies to work better than traditional ESIs that are placed in the middle of the back. Medications such as antidepressants, like nortriptyline or duloxetine, can also be beneficial for sciatica. I encourage you to continue to stay active in a regular exercise program because it can prevent progression of your symptoms. Here we have a question from Deborah from Terre Haute, Indiana. My father, mother, grandmothers all suffered from shingles, and it was particularly debilitating since it was located primarily on their face and head. Am I likely to get shingles because of my genetic disposition? I've had chickenpox, I'm 57, and would like to get the shingles vaccine, but I was told to wait until I'm 60. Deborah, there may be some genetic link to shingles, but we're not sure. It's clear that things like older age, especially 60 years of age and older, more severe pain with shingles, a more severe rash, and stress are risk factors for developing persistent pain, also called postherpetic neuralgia. There is evidence to support the use of the vaccine, which is called Zostavax, for people 50 years of age and older, even though the large study using Zostavax included people 60 years of age and older. The data show that even if you're just 50 years of age, there is reduced risk of developing herpes zoster and postherpetic neuralgia. The vaccine should not be given if you are allergic to certain components of the vaccine, you have HIV or AIDS, have had leukemia or bone marrow cancers, or you're on therapies that weaken your immune system. Side effects of the vaccine are minimal if your immune system is functioning normally. You may experience some irritation and redness at the site of the vaccine. And here's a question from Francis in Chicago, Illinois. How common is postoperative pain, and why should we be concerned about it? 
Well, Francis, postoperative pain is common and not managed as intensely as it should, unfortunately. There are several methods of treating pain during and after surgery, depending on the type of surgery. There are nerve blocks, spinals, epidurals, intravenous pumps that deliver opioids like morphine, and oral medicines. Better pain control leads to benefits in terms of fewer cardiovascular and respiratory complications. It also leads to better endocrine, immunologic, gastrointestinal, and hematologic outcomes. Importantly, we've learned that pain that persists following surgery can lead to chronic pain conditions. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulcristomd.com. That's paulcristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.